1: My name is Ted Gerber, I'm the director of CRECA and uh, before we get moving with uh, today's program, I just want to make uh, a few quick announcements. So as i mentioned, this is a regular weekly event uh, that CRIKA is host- hosting this semester, probably next semester too yet, uh, but we haven't decided that yet. Uh, but uh, every Thursday at 4pm, we are having our lecture series and you can find out about future events by uh, consulting our website, which is simply krika.wisk.edu, and click on events and you'll see the whole calendar for the whole remainder of the semester. Um, let me draw particular attention though to next week's lecture, which is going to be by Theodora Dragastinova, who is associate professor of history at Ohio State University. And she'll be talking on the topic of a small state on the global scene, Bulgaria's developing world in the 1970s. So uh, then today uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to my colleague, uh, Catherine Henley, who's a William Voss Baskin Professor of Law and Political Science here at UW-Madison, longtime uh, stalwart member of CREECUP, and she will introduce today's speaker and moderate the session. So, Kathy, uh, the floor is yours.
0: Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, We're so delighted to have Professor Mishina with us. It isn't her first visit to Madison, and every time she comes, we're just uh, pleased to have her here. Uh, She is currently an independent legal scholar. Uh, For many years, she taught at the Higher School of Economics, and I think she's almost ready to announce an affiliation with a new uh, institution. She and several colleagues uh, have started with uh, a free Svobodny Universitet uh, in Moscow. And maybe in the Q&A, we can learn a little bit more. More about that. Um, she received her legal education at, the, uh, at Moscow State University um, and did her graduate work at the Institute of State and Law. Uh, she's, she's sort of the Zelig of, uh, for people who know their Woody Allen movies, she's sort of the Zelig of the Russian legal community because she seems to have worked everywhere. Uh, <laughs> she's held uh, jobs as a, uh, um, a private uh, lawyer for companies. She's worked for the uh, constitutional Court. Uh, She has, you know, just many, many different things. And so uh, this gives her such a unique perspective. Uh, She's always, her focus has been on the Constitution. Um, And she just published a book that deals with these amendments. And she's been very active in publishing uh, op-eds and other things. And so we're uh, so fortunate to have her with us to walk us through uh, this very complicated story of these amendments. Um, So how we're going to proceed is, that uh, I'm going to, to, to try to ask a few questions and uh, try to get in as many different topics as we can in the time that we have. And we'll stop uh, that process uh, um, uh, in about 40 minutes or so and then give time for you guys to ask your questions. Um, so with with that, let's just begin. And why don't we start, uh, Katya, with the question of the um, uh, how the separation of powers has been been changed by uh, Putin's amendments. And this really goes to the heart of the whole question of of the expansion of Putin's powers. So I'll let you get started on that.
2: Thank you very much, Kathy. Uh, Hello, everyone. I am delighted to be back again in Madison, though it's virtually this time, but it's still the great Pleasure, and it's a big honor and joy for me to speak here in the University of Wisconsin Madison. Uh, In my presentation, uh, and in the following parts of our today's meeting, uh, I will try to focus uh, on the Russian Constitution, its specifics, Putin's constitutional amendments, and uh, how they affect uh, the Three branches of power and also the lives of Russian citizens. Uh, so, in 1993, as uh, everyone here knows, Russia adopted its uh, constitution, which was uh, modeled uh, in a way after the constitution of the Fifth Republic of France. So, Russia has a semi presidential constitutional system where the president is the head of the state and uh, the executive branch is headed by the prime minister who according to the constitution is called uh, the chairman of the government. The legislative power is vested in the Federal Assembly of the Russian Federation a bicameral parliament where the uh, lower house is named the State Duma and the name of the upper house is the Federation Council. The judiciary uh, is comprised of two top courts. Initially, they were three. There, uh, there was the Supreme Court, uh, the Constitutional Court and the, the higher court of arbitration, which was discontinued in 2014. And that was a huge loss for all the Russian judicial system and for the judicial reform as well because what happened at that time was actively promoted as unification of two top courts, but I would uh, say that was not a merger, but an hostile takeover of this uh, higher court of arbitration by the Supreme Court because, All the functions uh, were transferred to the Supreme Court and uh, the higher uh, court of arbitration simply was removed from the picture. And this was also handled by the means of adopting constitutional amendment. And this amendment had a very, very bad impact on the Russian judiciary and the quality of judgments. Uh, So the initial system was, based on the democratic principles, because Boris Yeltsin, who was the president of Russia at that time, was a big supporter of of freedom of speech, political pluralism, freedom of assembly, and other fundamental rights and freedoms. Uh, So that chapter second of the Russian constitution offers a huge list of rights and freedoms of a man and a citizen. And article one of the Constitution announced that a man, uh, And article uh, and the, the beginning of the Constitution announced that uh, a man and his rights and freedoms are the supreme value. And then uh, for a really long time, almost for 27 years, the Constitution was adopted several times but never the changes were so big. So in this year, the whole thing started on January 15th uh, when when President Putin addressed the Federal Assembly uh, with his usual annual State of the Union speech. Uh, By doing this, President Putin exercised his constitutional obligation established by Article 83 of the Constitution. And by the virtue of this obligation, uh, the president of Russia must determine the guidelines of domestic and international policy. So in this uh, State of the Union speech, President Putin offered a comprehensive program of changes to be made in the Russian constitution. And in this program, he emphasized the following important topics. Let me explain why I refer to this uh, State of the Union speech, because these guidelines are mandatory for all bodies of power, and uh, both governmental officials and public authorities and ordinary citizens must follow these guidelines. That was established by the Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation in a number of uh, its rulings, so uh, here are the main uh, important topics made by President Putin in his reform program uh, the issue of sovereignty, uh, social obligations of the Russian state, uh, prohibition of a foreign citizenship or a residence permit for another country for those individuals who old office, which are crucially important for ensuring safety and sovereignty of the state. Uh, also the uh, point that the same person cannot be the president uh, of the Russian Federation for more than, th- than two terms this point is extremely important, since the nullifying of presidential terms has become a recognizable, uh, pa- the most recognizable part of Putin's constitutional amendment. Also, Putin made a point that is very important to enshrine principles of unified system of public authority in the constitution and to extend and strengthen the powers of uh, local self-government. Uh, Another point uh, was made about the uh, federal assembly, the federal parliament of Russia. Uh, Putin stressed out that it was necessary to increase the role and importance of national parliament and specifically of its uh, lower house. And the last but not the least was the issue of judicial independence, which was extremely important from the viewpoint of president. So uh, let's play a very interesting game and compare this uh, program of uh, constitutional reform as it was envisaged uh, in Putin's uh, State of the Union speech and the amendments uh, which were in a very, very fast move submitted to the State Duma five days after Putin pronounced his uh, speech before the federal assembly. Uh, After a series of heated debates, the amendments were modified and then uh, adopted by both houses of the Russian parliament. And on March 16, uh, the constitutional court said that these amendments are constitutional both the the content of the amendments and the procedure of approval of these amendments. So uh, the first important uh, thing which I must say about these amendments, uh, that the whole system of, of separation of powers were changed First of all, I would like to make a point that it changed completely the constitutional system because now the president is the head of the executive branch. It's clearly established uh, in the new text of the constitution. And not only he is the head of the executive branch, he can uh, remove the chairman of the government from the office at his sole discretion. For doing this, he doesn't need any sort of approval or consultations with the chambers of the national parliament. Uh, another important change uh, is about the power to uh, appoint with the after the consultations with the upper house, uh, a number of heads of federal bodies of executive power, including uh, such important governmental officials as the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the Minister of Justice, the Minister of Interior Uh, all bodies of executive power that are in charge of state security, defense, uh, justice, foreign affairs, prevention of emergency situations, and public safety. Uh, I would like to make a point uh, that for removal of these important governmental officials from the office, Putin doesn't need anything. He can also do this at his sole discretion. The announced uh, increase of importance and role of the national parliament and its lower house, the State Duma did not happen. Uh, All changes which were uh, offered by Putin and then entrenched uh, in the text of the constitutional amendments were either decorative or pointless. I would like to specifically comment on on the fact that now members of the upper house, the Federation Council are called senators. So there is no such thing as a Senate in the Russian Federation. Still the members of the upper house are called senators. I don't think that was the, uh, very, um, th- that was a very important issue which had to be addressed in the constitutional amendments. Uh, another point which looks comp- as an overkill to me was envisaging the right of both houses to exercise parliamentary supervision. There was a pre-existing federal law on parliamentary control which was passed on in two thousand thirteen. And uh, elevating this right to the constitutional level will not affect the quality and efficiency of the parliamentary supervision, but still it really looks flattering for both houses of the Russian parliament.
0: I'm going to jump in here because I think I can see that you could spend the entire time just giving us more and more information, fascinating information about this question of, of how the different uh, pieces of the government, how their powers have been changed. Um, but I know that people are really interested in the whole question of the, the, the way that the vote was carried out, the legitimacy of the vote. What did ordinary people think about the vote? Did they understand what they were voting on? Could we move on and talk a little bit about that and maybe come back to the oh, separation yes, issue and the yes. Q and
2: a. I'm very flexible. Of okay. Course. Of course we can. Of course we can. In order to finalize coming into force of this constitutional amendment, uh, a new thing was uh, included into the Russian legislative framework the all Russia voting. Uh, I must be very frank that Russia had sufficient legislative means to legalize uh, the process of approval of constitutional amendments. And there is a specific chapter nine in the constitution which provides for the procedure of uh, amending the constitution. These chapters uh, clearly states that uh, there are so called unchangeable chapters of the Constitution. It's chapter one, the fundamentals of the constitutional system, chapter two, uh, rights and freedoms of Russian citizens, and uh, chapter nine, uh, the, uh, the Finalizing provisions and amending of the constitution, but in order to make changes in these chapters, it was necessary to convene a specific organ, the Constitutional Assembly. And Putin didn't want to do that. So he he wanted the whole thing to be really, really fast. So uh, what he did, he uh, he he. he Gave the task to develop the uh, draft amendments, which indicated changes which had to be included in the first two parts of the constitution. But at the but nevertheless, they were put into other chapters of the constitution, which is openly in breach of Articles sixteen and 64, of the Constitution because nothing in the rest of the text of the Constitution can contradict the fundamentals of the constitutional system. And if you look at the, uh, say, uh, Article 12, you will see that the local self-government is not a part of the unified system of public authority. Nevertheless, if you go back to the last part of the constitutional amendments, you will see that now the local self-government is a part of the system of of the unified system of public authority. So now the constitution includes contradictory provisions. And as Tamara Morshikova, Professor Tamara Morshikova, a former uh, deputy chief justice of the Constitutional Court repeatedly said, uh, articles 16 and 64, are the the internal mechanism of uh, self-defense of the Russian constitution. If something contradicts the the two, second, uh, part uh, part one and part two of the constitution, then this constitutional provision is illegal. But still, uh, since there was a strong political will to, adopt this uh, constitutional amendments as soon as it was possible, this all Russia voting was invented. Uh, For the first time, this uh, notion was mentioned in the presidential decree of February 14, 2020, where uh, Putin stated uh, that in order to finalize the process of approval of constitutional amendments, Russia will, have the uh, all Russia voting on April 22nd, but then the coronavirus situation interfered and the all Russia voting was moved to a different date and finally took part in the, lay, in the end of June. Uh, even the constitutional court agreed that all the all Russia voting, which something that was non-existent in the, a Russian con- in the Russian legislative landscape. Uh, in its opinion of March 16, 2020, the constitutional court said, yes, we did not have such thing as all Russia voting, but still the constitutional legislator had the right to do this in order to legitimize the process of adoption of constitutional amendments. So in order to make the whole thing legal, a new procedure was established and uh, that was an an absolutely unnecessary thing. The main uh, reason why it was done was that uh, Putin and uh, his surroundings uh, were afraid that people would not come and vote. And that's the reason why the legislation on the referendum was not used because it's, it's, it establishes uh, a precise number of people who need to participate in the voting. And only after that, the uh, results of the referendum will have legal force. So that was the the reason why this uh, procedure, which was non-existent even in January was used. And um, people were, either forced to vote, many people were forced to vote, but a lot of people really voted for the amendments with the open heart. The reason they did that was before because they never read the amendments. If you take a look at the text of the constitutional amendments, I have no idea whether the new text of the constitution, the amendment version of the constitution has been translated into English, but trust me, even for a Russian lawyer who holds a PhD, it was a big challenge to read the text of this constitutional amendment. That was really hard. So in order to make the life of Russian citizens easier, a group of popular, people, a group of celebrities like famous actors, singers, musicians were invited to participate in the advertising of the amendments. So these people were talking to to the Russian citizens from the TV screens, uh, urging them to come and vote and describing how important it is to vote for the amendment because for now, Russian sovereignty is non-existent. Uh, If those who listened to actor Vladimir Mashkov who actually was in charge of promoting sovereignty on on, uh, Russian federal TV channels, they simply did not open the text of the constitution where which uh, from, the, in, from the very beginning uh, mentioned the issue of national sovereignty both in the preamble and in articles three and four of the initial version of the constitution. Likewise, it happened with many other parts of the Russian constitution uh, in its amended version. And I think the biggest disappointment will be with the so-called social economic amendments because Putin uh, announced in his State of the Union speech that now the state must increase its social economic obligations and responsibilities before the Russian citizens. What happened in reality was that Russian citizens were vested with additional obligations. The uh, social economic part of the amendments states that now Russian citizens must take care and uh, support financially their parents who are old and cannot work. By doing this, the government, uh, the Russian authorities simply shifted a part of responsibility for the elderly citizens from themselves to uh, the children of these elderly citizens. So I've Uh, people voted for the amendments because uh, there was a very, really strong pressure coming from the uh, uh, top of the Russian system of power. People were forced to vote for the amendments, but Again, some of them did that simply because they did not understand what was written in the amendment. And I must share with you one very important thing. I I have a lot of friends in Moscow. I have a lot of friends in different parts of Russia. Some of them are very pro-Putin and uh, even these people, when they looked at the text of the amendments, they said, come on, no no way, we are not voting for this. Uh, The biggest shame is uh, that uh, a huge group of Russian experts on constitutional law enthusiastically supported these amendments and these people were doing this not with the open heart because as professionals, I absolutely understood that many new provisions were in breach with the fundamentals of the constitutional system of the Russian constitution, and that was a very bad and wrong decision.
0: Yeah, can I get you to maybe push a little bit on that? Because you mentioned that the constitutional court had approved the amendments, uh, and we know that, of course, the amendments Affected the Constitutional Court, Uh, so could you talk a little bit about the choices, uh, sort of what you think the thinking was inside of the court itself, and then how you think all of this is going to play out in terms of uh, judicial independence, uh, both in the Constitutional Court and then in the other courts as well.
2: Uh, I would say that the Constitutional Court had had no other choice because very few people are strong enough to say no and step out like Justice Anatoly Konanov did several years ago when uh, he uh, faced uh, severe criticism from the part of other justices of the Constitutional Court because of his independent uh, comments on the situation inside the Russian judiciary. Uh, He resigned simply because he didn't want to lie about the real situation inside the Constitutional Court, which was getting more and more politicized. So, uh, despite the announced necessity to strengthen judicial independence, Uh, which was said by President Putin in his his State of the Union speech, the uh, amendments will work in the opposite way. Uh, First, uh, the amendments envisage the new power of the president to uh, present to the Federation Council the request to remove from the office uh, the chairpersons of two top the Constitutional Court and the Supreme Court, their deputies, justices of both uh, superior courts uh, and uh, also judges from the uh, inferior courts like courts of Cassation and appellation courts. And this is absolutely in breach of the fundamental principle of judicial independence, because uh, the grounds for such removal are very vague for conducting an action which is unethical or immoral. Russian law, uh, case law clearly states that uh, a judge can be removed from the office For instance, if this judge disagrees with uh, illegal requests coming from the chairperson of the court, like it was in case of Olga Kudeshkina, who was a judge of the Moscow city court, and she uh, refused to follow illegitimate requests of her boss, uh, super, uh, chief Justice, uh, Chief, uh, chief ju- Chairperson uh, uh, of the Moscow City Court, uh, Olga Yegorova, Justice Kude- J- Judge Kudeshkina was removed from the office, and she's not a judge anymore. There were many, many other cases like this, and uh, the fe- the very fact that now the uh, President can initiate uh, this process without any participation of bodies of judicial community uh, is completely in breach of two fundamental principles, judicial independence and irremovability of of judges. Let me add one very important thing that according to the constitutional amendments, now the president can appoint up to 30 members of the Federation council which is also a questionable in uh, novel, uh, the new provision of the Constitution because it hardly agrees with the principle of separation of powers because 30 uh, persons of uh, the upper part of the upper house of the parliament is a big part of the upper house. And since they are appointment, appointed by the president, it means that these are people who are valid, very loyal for him. Uh, another very dangerous uh, new provision is the downsizing of the Constitutional Court. Uh, judges, justices of the Constitutional Court who received the draft amendments approved by both houses of the Federal Assembly didn't know who would be these eight justices who would be removed from the constitutional court. So unfortunately, uh, the court said yes. And uh, the court delivered a long and puzzled opinion on the issue which was beautifully analyzed uh, by uh, Professor Tamara Marshikova, whom I already mentioned. So uh, the new amendments of the Russian constitution deeply affect uh, and almost nullify not only the presidential terms of Vladimir Putin, but also judicial independence and the principle of irremovability of justice. Uh, The president already has a final say in almost all judicial appointments because uh, the decision on new appointments is finalized somewhere in the presidential administration. Now he would be able to initiate the removal of judges. So the, uh, the independence of the Russian judiciary is in danger.
0: Thanks, Katya. That was very helpful. Uh, I think we have, uh, uh, I'm not sure. What, let's try to do one more topic. And uh, it's, a, it's one that I'm sure that we're going to get questions on, or we would if you didn't address it. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about uh, freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and how you see those as being compromised or affected by these new amendments. Because, of course, in principle, they can't change that language right, because that's part of the, the sacrosanct uh, uh, um, areas of the old constitution. So how do you see those as changing in practice? Uh,
2: yes, I, I think that uh, new amendments will make the situation with the freedom of speech and uh, freedom of assembly even worse, specifically with the freedom of speech uh, because uh, the new uh, provisions on the sovereignty uh, address, also address of uh, the issue of defense of the semi sovereignty and territorial integrity of Russia. And uh, one of the new provisions of the Constitution states that actions aimed at the alienation of the part of the territory of the Russian Federation and also calls of such actions shall not be allowed. That was also an overkill because Russian Criminal Code has an article, criminalizing calls for violation of territorial integrity of the Russian Federation. Uh, But I must make a point that a number of these constitutional amendments are of a pure propagandistic nature. Also the provisions uh, that apply to historic memory, the victory of Uh, Russian people in the second world war and prohibition uh, to break the memory and to disfigure the memory. Uh, Several years ago, the criminal code of the Russian Federation was amended by another article which is called Rehabilitation of Nazism. This article has a very uh, dangerous uh, provision, which is actually a ticking bomb, a uh,
0: uh,
2: perversion of the uh, information about the participation of the Soviet Union in the Second World War. Uh, usually, now this provision is referred to as the falsification of history provision. And a number of people already faced criminal charges and uh, went to uh, the prisons for committing this crime. And since now this necessity to protect the historic memory was elevated to the constitutional level, it will affect the freedom of speech situation even stronger. Moreover, several days ago, a new division, a new department, the department of uh, in charge of uh, uh, the issues of uh, falsification of history was established in the Investigatory Committee of the Russian Federation, which means that now uh, the crimes committed uh, in this realm, Will be tracked and all for, followed with, a, with an even bigger uh, attention than it was. Speaking about freedom of assembly, I think that uh, the situation was al- already very bad again because of the new amendments in the criminal code of the Russian Federation. I I mean that. Notorious Article 212.1, which is also known uh, as Ildar Dadin's article, uh, the repeated violation of the procedure of organization and participation in public rallies, meetings, and uh, process. Uh, A number of people were already uh, uh, prosecuted, convicted, and sent to prisons for doing this. The article made its way to the Constitutional Court of the Russian Federation, and unsurprisingly, the Constitutional Court found it constitutional. Uh, nevertheless, it offered a number of very strong legal positions about how this uh, article shou- should be applied by law enforcers. By the law enforcers said, no, we, there is a big risk of danger to the society so We are ignoring the uh, legal positions of the constitutional court, which all of a sudden are binding for all uh, branches of power, governmental governmental officials, including courts and prosecutors and investigators, and uh, now with all these new propagandistic provisions of the uh, new, new Russian Constitution, it, its amended version, I be, I believe that, and it's very sad that. I have to believe this, that the situation with the freedom of assembly will get even worse. Just look what what, what was happening after the amendments came into legal force on July 4th of this year. Sadly, what's a big holiday in the United States, the Independence Day, it was the day of passing away of the real, uh, of the initial version of the Russian Constitution for Russia. So uh, freedom of assembly and freedom of speech are in big danger uh, due by the virtue of new constitutional amendments and more active uh, employment and prosecuting of people under the articles of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation, which I have already mentioned.
0: Well thanks so much, Katya. I think that maybe now let's let's with all of that as as a foundation, let's open it up for questions and we'll Absolutely. use the hand raising function. And so then when you ask your question, if you could obviously unmute yourself so we can hear what your question is and also uh share your um video with us. That would be great. So questions? I'm sure we have questions. you going to make me call on people? Ted, did you want to ask a question? Yeah, yeah
1: I, I, hi, thanks. I'd like to, I can't actually raise my hand because I'm designated as a co-host. But uh, yes, I, I actually have a few questions. But uh, uh, first of all, I'd like uh, to ask, so, so in prior to the, th- thank you very much for a very informative uh, uh, explanation of some of the significance and impact of these very major changes. Um, I remember in the run-up, Prior to the voting, there was a lot of uh, press coverage in the West about some campaigns regarding the provisions in the uh, new constitution regarding uh, the family, regarding marriage. Uh, There were some very, uh, shall we say, uh, homophobic uh, ads promoted by or or shown by uh, uh, those who were supporting the amendments. suggesting that if the amendments weren't uh, passed, then Russia would be faced with a deluge of uh, same sex parenting. Um, uh, Could you talk a little bit about that? Could you explain uh, more about the family and the uh, sort of anti-LGBT provisions of the constitution?
2: Absolutely. Um, before this year, uh, the Constitution uh, did not have anything which could be one way, directly or indirectly referred to the issue of the status of the LGBT community in Russia. But now, since we've got this provision that a marriage is a union of a man, of a people, uh, this new constitutional provision definitely calls for some sort of explanation of the attitude of to homosexuality in Russia now, in the Soviet Union, and even before that. First, uh, Homosexual relations, same-sex relations between men were prohibited and criminalized uh, in early 18th century by Peter the Great. Uh, then in uh, the middle of of 19th century, there was uh, certain amendments made in the imperial legislation, which also confirmed that same-sex relations between men uh, were punishable by uh, a lengthy period of time of incarceration. However, uh, in the early 20th century, provision, these provisions seemed to stop working. That was the pre revolutionary time, the so called time of a uh, silver age of. Uh, uh, Russian arts and uh, Renaissance and point poetry. It was a bit, uh, that was the time when some celebrities, uh, they did not have to make a coming out because they never had to hide their homosexuality, and the society did not frown on them. Uh, And even after the Bolshevik revolution, which uh, took place in 1917, homosexuality, I cannot say that it was encouraged by the Bolshevik state, but it was not an issue. It became an issue in 1930s when it was the time of uh, escalation of criminal repression and uh, same-sex relations uh, between men were criminalized. I must make a point that same sex relations between women were never criminalized, never, uh, neither in the Russian Empire, nor in the Soviet Union. Uh, Then the provision uh, prohibiting um, same sex relations between men moved from uh, the previous criminal code to the RSFSR Criminal Code of 1960 and uh, uh, the infamous article one to one provided for up to seven years for prison, uh, for homosexuality. Uh, And I must say that this article was actively used uh, for persecuting dissidents in Russia. Uh, There was no such thing as presumption of innocence in the Soviet Union. On the contrary, uh, a suspect and the accused had to uh, prove that he or she was innocent. So the burden of proof was not on the prosecution, but the other way around, it was on the accused. So, and it was almost impossible to prove that you are not guilty if you are facing charges of homosexuality. This article existed in the Soviet criminal code until 1993 and uh, the whole thing was decriminalized in Uh, in this year and the new democratic criminal code of Russia, which was adopted in 1996, included no uh, article on same-sex relations between men. However, it did not stop uh, certain members of the State Duma, the lower house of the Russian parliament, who repeatedly submitted uh, draft laws uh, suggesting to criminalize uh, same-sex relations. Uh, some of them stated that uh, this type of sexual relations is in breach with uh, Russian traditions and family values. And uh, finally, uh, the code of administrative offen- offenses was uh, amended with an article establishing administrative responsibility for gay propaganda. It happened uh, seven years ago. And this article also was considered and analyzed by the Constitutional Court. And the Constitutional Court says that, yes, it's constitutional. It's absolutely constitutional because Russia has long traditions and it has important cultural values and it, we in Russia perceive marriage as a union between a man and a woman and same-sex marriages are not for us and actually uh, what this discriminating provision Uh, I mean, the the provision on marriage uh, was included into the text of the amendments. Uh, It was not the only discriminative provisions. The provision which you can find in the amended text of the Russian constitution. Russian language as a state forming language. That's how the new constitution refers to Russian language. Uh, It looks really offensive and discriminating from the viewpoint of these numerous ethnicities and nationalities which live in the territory of Russia. Uh, Because in Russia, there are people who belong to almost 100 of different ethnicities and who speak different languages. So that was definitely offensive uh And as for now, I believe that uh, the LGBT community will face additional problems because Russia doesn't have a uh, understanding of the importance of a uh, decent attitude and good understanding of this issue simply because uh, in the very, from the very beginning of this week's, of uh, the Soviet tradition, uh, people were easily discriminated by a number of reasons. If you spot someone who is vulnerable, this vulnerable person could be easily prosecuted. And people who are not duly protected by their law are especially vulnerable. And members of the LGBT community strongly belong to this group of people. To adopt a child will be almost impossible in Russia. Um, a fa- oh, there is a famous journalist, Masha Gessen, a very, a very popular person. Uh, I know that now uh, Masha Gessen must be referred to as they. So Masha uh, was married and uh, the couple adopted a child. And at some point, they faced numerous problems because of this adoption, because the authorities said, come on, uh, same-sex couple cannot uh, have an adopted child. They cannot uh, provide a due upbringing for this, uh, for this child. And that, as far as I know, as far as I remember from Masha's speech, when she was presenting here in the University of Michigan, uh, Masha mentioned that that was one of the reasons why the family decided to move from Moscow to uh, the United States, simply because uh, same sex couples in Russia, they cannot officially marry, they cannot adopt children, uh, they are frowned at by the society and, it's dangerous to be a member of the LGBT community, though, as I already mentioned, for the time being, they are, it's not criminalized, it's punishable as an administrative offense, mm-hmm. but that's where I'm not up
0: We're getting we have a bunch of people who are keen to ask questions. Uh, So I'm wondering whether or not maybe we should gather up a few questions, and then let you respond to them. So Tracy, why don't you start us on that. Hi, um, thank you very much for the presentation. Um, I know there's over 200 amendments, but I'm interested (laughs) in um, maybe not necessarily listing them out but of of the ones or or how do you see the amendments um, touching on the area of controlling succession, you know, presidential succession, and maintaining the power vertical, and also ones that deal with the geographic, you know, territory of Russia, or, or something that might touch on um, national security and defense strategy. Thank you. Okay. Oh, sure. Wait, Absolutely. wait, wait, let's get a couple yes. more. And then I see Will has dressed up for us. So let's let him have a chance here.
3: Yes, yes. Thank, thank you, Kathy. Uh, and thank you, Katya. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, a few quick questions um, to expand a little bit as to why the the amendments limited the number of judges. Do they think that they'll have fewer dissents? Do they figure that they'll be more manageable? Uh, did they dislike the idea that when they had 19 judges, uh, they were supposed to divide into two uh, groups of, of judges, and now that's not possible? Uh, second point is, uh, the amendment on the prosecutor's office. Uh, not only did Putin expand his right to appoint the prosecutors, but the, prosecutor, we'll the prosecutor's office and remove them. But it's also now in the Constitution that they are responsible yes. for uh, observing the observation of the Constitution, mm-hmm. which seems to be in conflict with the authority of the Constitutional Court. So. Did, does this, uh, do the amendments enhance the authority of the prosecutor's office, or do they simply ratify what was already in the legislation on the property, and is that really kind of, with these amendments, is that kind of, again, the the dominant branch within the hierarchy of Russian legal institutions?
0: Okay, Katya, why don't you tackle those two areas, uh, but just keep in mind that we're, we're, we're running out of time and we still have questions, so...
2: Oh yes, absolutely, I'll try I'll try to be really, really brief, though it's not easy. Uh, okay, speaking about the limitation of presidential terms and strengthening of the vertical of power, uh, the so-called Tereshkova amendment on nullification of Putin and Medvedev presidential terms allows uh, two people to skip this uh, constitutional prohibition that a person cannot be elected for the position of the president of the Russian Federation more than two times. This prohibition does not apply to Putin who is already in office and Medvedev who was in office. That's exactly what uh, the amended constitution says. Speaking about uh, definitely uh, all these uh, new provisions uh, which, uh, which entitle Putin with the power to uh, appoint uh, with non-binding consultations with the upper, chair, uh, upper house of the Russian parliament, uh, a group of uh, most important members of the executive branch uh, and remove them, including the chairman at his sole discretion. Also, the Putin can do the same with the prosecutors as Will just mentioned. He can uh, he can appoint uh, the uh, prosecutor general and his deputies and lower prosecutors after the consultations uh, with the uh, super, uh, with the Federation Council. Again, these consultations possess no binding nature. Uh, as for removal, if that's his decision. He is the only decision maker in this area. Uh, speaking about the geographic issues, uh, the new uh, new, uh, uh, new amendments establish uh, that uh, establish the invalidity of the territory of the Russian Federation. So. Uh, calls for violation of the territorial integrity uh, are not allowed, Uh, actions aimed at violation of the territorial integrity are not allowed, it was already prohibited and criminalized by the criminal code of the Russian Federation, but at the same time new subjects of the Federation are welcome, so I'm absolutely sure that if something comes up to the agenda and there will be a new candidate for joining the Federation of, uh, joining the Russian Federation, Uh, this new member of the Federation will be embraced and welcomed by the Russian authorities. Getting back to the constitutional court and downsizing of the number of judges. Will, I must be uh, very frank and open with you. I didn't find anything, even in the explanatory note to the uh, draft uh, amendments when it was submitted to the uh, State Duma on January 20th. They simply do not explain why it's so necessary to uh, decrease the number of justices of the constitutional court? Because uh, this downsizing will. Uh, have a negative impact on the efficiency of the Constitutional Court. And I don't think they will reestablish the bicameral structure of the Constitutional Court, which was terminated uh, several years ago. And also uh, that will affect uh, the possibility of judges to process, the proper number of cases, I would like to also to mention another very important amendment uh, that uh, now unlike, uh, like it was uh, uh, established by the initial version of the constitution when an individual could uh, refer the issue to the constitutional court, when he or she had a case pending in a general court, Right now, an individual can lodge a complaint to the constitutional court for a violation of his or her constitutional rights and freedoms only after all the national measures of a judicial remedy have been exhausted. Uh, so after that, very few people will be able to make their way to the Constitutional Court, and I specifically consulted with uh, one of my former students who now works for Justice Bajiu from the Constitutional Court, and he said that they are already following this requirement. So people will spend years trying to get remedy in the Constitutional
0: Okay, great job, Katya, on uh, on speed, at least, and also on content. Uh, uh, very nice. Uh, Hannah, what did you want to ask?
1: Yes, one moment. Um, okay, sorry. Um, yes, hi, thank you so much for speaking today and for giving us your time. Um, I had a question. I also have some friends and family over in... Uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg but specifically in St. Petersburg one friend told me that while she was going to vote there were some ballots that were already um, marked with yes and people would just be able to I don't know um,
2: like give a yes and not even be able to say no if it was their decision Um, is this true or that's what they call the free will of the Russian people You can come and say yes, that you are for amendments. And if you look up, do you speak Russian? I'm
1: in like third semester, but yes, I can understand more.
2: Uh, No, I didn't, um, the plan was not to check your knowledge of Russian language uh, because uh, there is a very specific formulation uh, in the uh, legislative framework for this all Russia voting, Mm -hmm. Uh, voting on approval of the amendments, of the approval. So initially, the legislative intent was to show that uh, the voters have to approve, they have to say yes. So the option that they would say no was not even considered uh and this is very important i heard and read about like numerous violations of people will when people were not only forced to vote oh like people came to the office and then they were like packed to the buses and transported to the voting spots and all their bosses were overseeing them and checking and making sure that everyone would vote uh it was not a free uh, voting. It was something which was necessary uh, for the purpose of serving like a window dressing. Because everything was decided before this voting. This, vote, this voting had a symbolic meaning. And even uh, the head of the, uh, uh, of the Central Electoral Committee, Ella Panfilova made a Freudian slip. Because once she said, come on, what's the fuss? Everything has been already approved. What's wrong with voting? OK, if everything has been already approved, why we're we supposed to go and vote? That was the big issue. OK, I see.
1: Thank and you. Also, um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, can you just repeat really quickly? You had said that the Russian recently in the constitutional amendments that Russian language is stated as, as what? State-forming
2: language. Mm-hmm. State, it's a state-forming language. The main language. Isn't it insulting for the people who speak other languages? Yeah. So they are citizens of the Russian Federation. They live there. They work there. They pay taxes. But the language which they don't speak is not a state-forming like. As usual happened in uh, the Soviet Union and then in Russia, all citizens are equal, but some citizens are more equal than others. Go get
0: him. Okay, That'll be interesting to see how it plays
1: out.
0: Thanks very much, Hannah. Uh, Michael, you've been waiting very patiently. What did you want to ask? Yeah,
1: thanks. Yeah, I've just got two very brief questions. What does the Constitution say about uh, the question of religion and religious freedom? I know that uh, in recent years there was talk about uh, restricting or not permitting the propagation of religions uh, unless they had some uh, legitimate place in Russian history. I think that was to keep out uh, religions that were entirely foreign uh, in nature. And then the second question, uh, does the constitution provide any clarification or limitation on the powers of agencies such as the uh, FSB or the SVR? Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for the question. Yes, uh, freedom of conscience, uh, yeah, freedom of religion is still one of the fundamentals of uh, uh, the constitutional system of the Russian Federation, and luckily, this provision is untouched so far. Uh, but in reality, all this constitutional provision works in a different way, and uh, the, thats what we call uh, the incorrect and the illegit- illegitimate application of the constitution. Because, in the process of enforcement, this. Uh, constitutional provision uh, changes and sometimes loses its initial meaning. And definitely there is no freedom of religion in certain, certain areas in Russia like those uh, who belong to the Russian Orthodox Church to the Moscow Patriarchate, uh, they definitely have priority and of uh, the church is playing a, sp- a much stronger role now than it used to play in early 1990s. Um, also, uh, luckily we don't have a, a specific provision on uh, the FSB, the former KGB, unlike the Soviet Constitution of uh, 1924, which included a specific charter on AGPU, which was a predecessor of KGB. Uh, but uh, the, I think that so far uh, there is nothing in the Constitution, but still this uh, agency plays a very
0: a very strong role. Thanks. Uh, Yoey. did you want to jump in with some questions here? Uh, yes. Um, th- thank you so much um, for a, such an informative and interesting talk and and also for all your work. Um, I guess my, my question is that it sounds like the situation for, uh, I guess, what we would call liberal democratic rights is pretty dire. And yet there's this focus on law. So I wonder if you could say something about why the symbolic meaning of the constitution is so important to the regime in what seems like a very apparent or apparently undemocratic context. So why would dictators care so much about the constitution and about law?
2: It's very convenient to use the constitution when you want to avoid uh, following your international obligations. That's exactly what the uh, authors of this constitutional amendment made uh, when they drafted the provisions regarding enforce- enforcement of uh, judgments and decisions of interstate bodies, international courts, uh, uh, courts of other countries, international arbiters. I would say that this provision was an ad hoc provision because at that time, uh, the Appellate Court of The Hague was handling uh, the case of the Yugos shareholders against the Russian Federation. And definitely, I'm absolutely sure that one of the reasons why this constitutional provision allowing not to enforce a judgment of a foreign court uh, was envisaged on the constitutional level was simply because uh, Russia is back on the trend of avoiding uh, its international obligations as we can easily see with the situation with the judgments of the Strasbourg court when the federal constitutional law on the constitutional court was amended five years ago and now it has the power to decide whether a judgment of of the European Court of Human Rights uh, is in compliance with the Russian Constitution. And if not, then this uh, this judgment would not be enforced on the territory of the Russian Federation. But uh, the drafters of the amendment uh, made one step further and they found a different ground Uh, for avoiding international obligations, if it's not in compliance with the public legal order. Russian constitutional law usually doesn't use the notion of a public legal order. It belongs to a different area of law, international private law, but it's a very vague definition and everything which is vague can be easily used in the course of judicial discretion. Because if we have a vague definition, we can interpret it the way we like. So the constitution became some sort of a symbol which is taken out of the pocket when Russia wants to say, no, we are not uh, enforcing this judgment of the Strasbourg court because it's in breach of our constitution. A real constitutional rights, a real provision of the constitution, such as separation of powers and fund on importance of rights and freedoms of the Russian people, they are in total danger and they are uh, violated and misinterpreted on a regular basis. There was a number of letters written by my colleagues uh, Constitutional law experts and uh, Professor Mikhail Krasnov is especially active in this realm, where uh, the lawyers pointed out that uh, the initial meaning of the Constitution has been disfigured. The Constitution has become a tool of manipulation when Russia is negotiating certain issues internationally because uh, in the domestic realm, many provisions of the constitution are violated, but it's also, it's very, very convenient to say, no, our constitution is sacred and we don't like your arbitration award or your judgment or your decision. And that's why we won't enforce it because it's in breach of our sacred constitution. That's why the constitution is so important.
0: But Katya, wouldn't you agree that that's a lot of trouble to go to just to deal with the issue of enforcing judgments? Is there also some kind of, maybe this is what Yoy was trying to get at there's there's some kind of domestic audience here for the the amendments that you had mentioned earlier about the family and about the LGBT community and about the language and, and all this sort of stuff. Is is he trying to shore up his his base among is, is this is this popular uh, out Oh yes, them.
2: of course Devasternization. Devasternization. uh Russian traditional values uh, uh, As opposed to evil Western d- principles uh, When the word uh, liberal Becomes a curse It means that something is really wrong With the political regime When the word democratic Becomes a curse It's also a very dangerous sign it sends a very disturbing signal. And unfortunately, uh, Putin uh, has spotted a very good area. Uh, Many Russians who who are not successful, who don't enjoy their living, they dream about the beautiful Soviet past. It has been almost 30 years uh, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, so the memory is short and usually memory, we keep only good memories. So uh, the more time has passed since the moment of dissolution of the Soviet Union, the better the Soviet Union looks. So uh, this is uh, a very, very good strategy to say we will be like the Soviet Union. Please remember our tremendous victory in the great patriotic war. Do you know guys that Russia even even has its own war? Because it's not the second world war. It's the great patriotic war and uh, for The Russian propaganda, the war started not on September 1st of 1939 when Germans invaded Poland and not on September 17th when the Soviet Union troops invaded Poland, no, it started on June 22nd of 1941, almost one year and a half after that, when all of a a sudden the Germans started to bomb certain parts of the Soviet Union. So it is uh, very good for a politician uh, in Russia now to refer to the Soviet memories the greatest world empire. People like it. People like it. And when they think they think about uh, the great empire where they live, they want it to be special. So they look at this attempt Attempts on desovietization. And I really think that these are attempts on desovietization, specifically uh, the parts of the amendments which aim at uh, the possibility to avoid fulfilling international obligations these parts are strongly supported by uh, ordinary russian citizens from certain parts of russia because they say no we don't like these western countries we live in the best country in the world so we are not interested in these western values they are evil
0: well that's an optimistic note on which to end things katya <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm afraid we're out of time. Is that right, guys? Is Ted? Is that? Are we out of time? You want to close it up
1: um, here? We close at 5:15, so I would say uh, yes. So, you know, if there's any uh, additional questions, I would guess invite you to email them. Um, but uh, I'm very much appreciative of this fascinating discussion and the many uh, questions and comments from the audience. So uh, I guess join me in virtually thanking our. Thank,
2: uh, you, so in Thank in you so much. Thank you so much, it was a big pleasure. It was a big pleasure. And tomorrow I will be uh, sending uh, my book on constitutional amendments in Russia for the law library of the University of Wisconsin Madison. And Kathy, if uh, uh, you need more copies, it, again, it's in Russian, it has not been translated. into English. Please okay. let me know and, and I'll send more than one. I'll be happy to do that.
1: Okay, well. Let me, uh, on behalf of all the those in attendance, thank you very much for your time.